If you've been to a store at all lately, you know the next big holiday that everyone is gearing up for is Halloween. Shops are filled with so-called scary things to decorate homes and offices, everything from spiders, snakes, and creepy crawlies to skeletal dinosaurs hatching out of eggs. And while Halloween is a holiday that teaches us that the things out there are scary, but can't actually hurt us, it's probably no coincidence that October is also a month to raise awareness about ways we hurt but don't seem to fear enough as a whole, in particular domestic violence. I say we don't seem to fear it because although shelters are more prevalent now than they were 30 years ago, and more people are requesting help from state-run domestic violence prevention organizations, funding has been cut in nearly all of the U.S. states, including Oklahoma. 10 million Americans a year 10 million Americans a year of all genders suffer from intimate partner violence. And that figure is staggering to me, absolutely staggering. I could go on and on with statistics, and you can easily find them for yourself if you're wondering just how bad the situation is. It's bad. Um, I recommend going to the National Network to End Domestic Violence website, which is nnedv.org, National Network to End Domestic Violence, nnedv.org. But for us gathered here in a sanctuary, worshiping God, the question emerges, oh God, what can we do? First and foremost, we need to not do more harm. The scripture text from Luke this morning is often cited by people who have experienced intimate partner abuse as a troubling text. After all, Jesus ends up telling the disciples that if someone confesses a sin, they should forgive them, even if it ends up being seven times a day. Well-meaning Christians have turned this verse into a truism. If someone asks forgiveness, you offer it, end of story. Yet this use of the text ignores the verses right before where Jesus tells the disciple that sin, disciples that sin has consequences. Things that cause people to stumble and fall into sin will happen, but how terrible it is for the person through whom they happen. Dr. Tara Samples, in an article entitled, Are Christians Supposed to Forgive Their Abusers? Puts it this way. Jesus indicates that causing harm to another has deep, lasting consequences to the offender. He even suggests that better a millstone of self-destruction for the perpetrator than the path of harm to another. I would suggest that one of those heavy consequences is a permanent loss of relationship, potential loss of freedom or future contact with children. In cases of violence, and especially in repeated violence, restoration of the relationship is usually a great risk of danger for the victim. Forgiveness provides freedom, but often reconciliation does not. Dr. Terrison says. To forgive, then, doesn't mean to continue to endorse abuse. Jesus even reminds the disciples directly that if your brother or sister sins, warn them to stop. If they change their hearts and lives, forgive them. If they change their hearts and lives, forgive them. 
true repentance involves change, a change in behavior, a change in attitude, a change in the heart. Without a change, forgiveness is incredibly challenging, if not impossible. In the letter to the Ephesians, Paul describes the changes that are expected of Christians. He insists that Christians must tell the truth, resolve anger quickly, avoid slander, speak helpful, uplifting words, upbuilding words, and be kind, compassionate, and forgiving to one another. When Paul tells thieves to stop stealing and instead go to work to use their hands to earn enough to share with one in need, he's lifting out a particular example that has a wider impact. Thieves who once took for themselves from others are now encouraged to give of themselves to others, the exact opposite of what they did before. That is true repentance, true change. If an abusive partner asks for forgiveness, but doesn't take steps to try to make up for the wrongdoing, it's not true repentance. What else can we do to help prevent domestic abuse in the first place? One very important step is to make space to express emotion in a safe space. Our society, like every society, has unwritten rules that affect how people learn to be an adult, what it means to be an adult in our society. Unfortunately, we tend to keep silent about these unwritten rules. They're not written, or they're not spoken, they're underground somewhere, and we all pick them up in different ways. And many people take them to heart without realizing that they have done so. For instance, men tend to be taught that expressing emotion verbally is a taboo. Instead, the message received is, real men do everything on their own. Real men don't cry. Real men express anger through violence. These messages that are reinforced time and time again lead, unfortunately, to a self-enforced isolation based in fear. Fear of what other people will think if I speak up. Or even a fear that I don't understand my own emotions. Likewise, women tend to be taught that their contribution is never enough. That even if they have a successful career, manage a household, receive an education, and are active in church and other organizations, they are still somehow less than a man, even a man who doesn't do any of those things. I have met women who have apologized to me on the meeting for only being a housewife, as though that were not enough of a calling for someone. And I know others who are so worn out from juggling all the aspects of their lives that they have no time left to relax with their friends. They, too, have become isolated and fearful. Even when people have intimate partners, whether married or not, they can build up barriers that increase isolation and loneliness. A friend of mine recently put it this way on Facebook. I feel more lonely with my partner than when I'm alone. These barriers may even be built up without conscious con consent, slowly growing as the two partners avoid certain topics or even conversation at all. 
Anything with emotional weight or value must be shuffled off to the side and forgotten, like dust swept under a rug. If you are isolated and never discuss anything, keeping everything bottled up, well, that's like filling a water balloon beyond capacity or adding weight to a bridge without taking anything away. Either way, you end up with pieces, possibly damage to anything nearby. This feeling of being just about to burst in the midst of isolation is beautifully, if terribly, written into Psalm 55. My heart pounds in my chest because death's terrors have reached me. I wish I had wings like a dove. I'd fly away and rest. The psalmist goes on to say that it is not an enemy that they fear, but their close companion and good friend. Their only recourse is to call out to God because their friend is a smooth talker but keeps war and drawn swords hidden in their heart. This psalm echoes painfully for many who fear abuse from their intimate partner and shows the isolation that many feel whether in an abusive situation or not. What you can do, then, is deepen your friendships where you have them. Talk about emotions with your friends. Widen your network of friends while you can. Don't be afraid to have difficult conversations and truly listen to your friends. In the same way, listen to yourself and try to identify, identify ways in which barriers have appeared that you didn't intend. Look for those barriers that have started building themselves up. The Reverend uh, Carol Howard Merritt, in her book, Healing Spiritual Wounds, explores some of the ways that she has suffered from abuse and trauma, both at home and in the church. In a section on emotional healing, she writes, and I encourage you to follow along with this, imagine someone you dearly love. What would you do if that person was upset? You would probably acknowledge their frustration by asking them, what's wrong? Why are you angry? Then you would listen to them and comfort them. Acknowledging, listening, and comforting are signs that you love that person. Now what happens when you yourself get upset? Do you acknowledge the pain, listen to your story, and comfort yourself? Because these are all ways that you love yourself. My friends, as a follower of God, as a Christian, you are called to love God love each other, and love yourself. You are called to repent, to truly change your ways, turning from hurting others to building each other up, to telling the truth, and to expressing your emotions without bottling them up. Listen to each other. And offer God's vision of humanity as a counter to our own. Instead of isolated, fearful neighbors, let us show how a loving community can bind up broken pieces and with God's love and peace restore wholeness to everyone. In the name of God.